Tonight, as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians, we are continuing to look at the subject of spiritual gifts and the importance of each gift, meaning this, the importance of each gifted believer in the body of Christ, which means every single believer in the body of Christ. Now, you'll recall that last time we studied 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we discovered that in teaching the Corinthians about spiritual gifts, Paul made it very clear that each member of the church has at least one spiritual gift and more likely a unique combination of spiritual gifts and therefore the use of these gifts is critical to the healthy functioning of a local church. And the way Paul taught this truth was by making an analogy, a comparison between the human body and the church the body of Christ. He makes this comparison in the sense that though it is one unit, it has a diversity of members. Notice what we read in chapter 12, verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, folks, the point that the apostle is making here is that although a human body has a variety of different members with ears and eyes and nose and neck, hands, legs, feet, and upper torso, and all the various internal organs that make up the body, with all that, it's still just one body. That's it. And that's exactly the way it is with the church. It is one body with Christ as its head and all the various members, meaning true believers, making up that one body. So, having established this analogy between the human body and the church, Paul then addressed one of the major problems that was plaguing the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, which was that certain members of the church felt unimportant. They felt rather useless in the church because they didn't have any impressive public speaking gifts like preaching or teaching or speaking in tongues. And so they felt like second class, second rate members of the church, inferior to those who had public ministries that attracted a lot of attention. Now the apostle addressed this wrong attitude in verses 14 through 17 by teaching that each member of the body has a distinct function that is both useful and necessary. Here's what we read. And I'm just reviewing at this point. Starting in verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Now the point that Paul has made here is that in a human body, if a foot isn't happy being a foot and it wants to be a hand because it doesn't feel as important as a hand and so it doesn't consider itself really a part of the body, its thinking is wrong. Its thinking is wrong because it's still a vital part of the body regardless of what it thinks. And likewise, if an ear says, I'm not happy being an ear, I want to be an eye because it doesn't feel as important as the eye in the body, and so it doesn't consider itself a part of the body, its thinking is wrong as well, because it is still a vital part of the body, regardless of how it feels. See, what Paul is teaching is that there must be diversity 
of the various members of the human body. There has to be because that's how a human body functions. You have to have all the members of the body functioning properly, the foot, the eye, the ear, etc. Otherwise, there would be no hearing, no seeing, and, and no smelling. Every part has a vital function. Otherwise, the body is abnormal. It's, it's dysfunctional. Now listen closely because like some of the Corinthians, there are some believers, some Christians today who don't see themselves as having an important role in the church. They look at others who are in positions of teaching, who are prominent in the church, and they conclude that they have nothing to offer the church because whatever gift or gifts they, they may have just seem to pale in comparison to others. And so what do they do? Well, they attend church but they don't get involved in the church. They don't participate in the life of the church. They keep to themselves. They don't have any ministry to speak of to anybody in the church. They come, they attend, they go home. That's it. Listen, that's completely wrong. That's wrong. That was the sinful, self-centered, woe is me, I'm nothing attitude of some of the Corinthians. If they couldn't have a showy, attention-grabbing spiritual gift that put them in the spotlight, then they decided that they weren't needed, and so they weren't going to be involved in the church. They would just stay in the background, sit on the sidelines, all the while being envious and jealous of those with prominent spiritual gifts. Now, the last time we studied these verses... To illustrate the truth that every member of the body and every member of the church, even those with less impressive attention-getting spiritual gifts are important. I told you about a medical doctor who informed a pastor that the most essential part of his body for him as a preacher was his big toe. I think you'll remember that. Maybe the only thing that you remember from the last sermon. And the reason, he said, for this is because the big toe, it, without it, it would be impossible to stand up and preach since it's the big toe that gives the body balance. And without it, he said, the speaker couldn't stay standing on his feet. He'd just keep falling over. He'd be swaying and catching himself and so forth. And after the service, my good friend Bruce Mills reminded me of a story from the world of baseball. How I forgot this, I don't know. But he told me, reminded me about the story that illustrates exactly the same point, and it's from a real story. It illustrates the vital importance of every member of the human body and every member of the body of Christ. He reminded me about the famous baseball pitcher, a man by the name of Dizzy Dean, whose career was cut short because of one little part of his body was injured and it affected his entire body so that he could no longer pitch effectively. So I looked this up, and here's a quote from an article online by a man named Matt Kovich. I don't know who he is, but I got this off of the internet, and it, it explains exactly what happened to Dizzy Dean. This would be back in the late 30s, early 40s. He said, in 1937, Dean was pitching for the National League in the All-Star Game. Earl Averill from the Indians was batting for the American League. Averill hit a comeback that hit Dean's foot, fracturing his toe. It was this toe injury that led to Dean's injury-shortened career. While still nursing a sore foot, Dean resumed pitching. The soreness caused him to change his pitching mechanics, leading to the shoulder and arm problems that Dean was never able to fully overcome, leading to his retirement in 1941. Dean's broken toe cascaded to his shoulder and arm troubles. He broke his toe, leading to shoulder and arm issues and quieting a great career. 
For pitchers, any injury can lead to other injuries. Altered mechanics or additional stress can cause issues up the pitching motions, kinetic chain. Fixing one link in the chain could cause the next weakest link to break. Sometimes a weak link can cause another weak link to break. It can be a vicious cycle. Folks, the people that Paul was addressing in 1 Corinthians are those who thought of themselves as weak links in their local church. Not greatly gifted, not particularly useful, not very important. And what Paul is telling them is that they are extremely important to the church because without them, the body of Christ could not, would not function properly. So if you have an attitude like this, then just stop it. You need to just stop it. You may be the big toe of this church. I said that last time, I'll say it again. And many people may not pay much attention to you, but your function is vital and necessary. It's necessary to the body because the word of God says that you are vital to the health of this local church. So get involved, use your gift to the glory of God and the edification of every other person in this church. But having addressed this particular issue of those who thought they were inferior in the church because of what they thought were their seemingly inferior spiritual gifts, the apostle, note this, he now turns his attention to another segment of the Corinthian church. He turns his attention to those in the church who had just the opposite view those who consider themselves superior to others in the church because of what they thought were their superior spiritual gifts. And here's what the apostle had to say to them, beginning with verse 20 all the way to verse 26. He said, but now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable whereas our more presentable members have no need of it but God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, as I've already mentioned, in these verses, the Apostle Paul is addressing those who were very impressed with themselves because of what they considered their very impressive spiritual gifts or gifts and consequently they felt that they didn't need others in the church especially those who had in their thinking less impressive spiritual gifts so addressing these proud self-sufficient Christians Paul stresses one major truth in these verses and that is that those who thought too highly of themselves those who were prominent members of the church because of their speaking gifts those folks, contrary to what they thought, they needed others in the body of Christ. They desperately needed others in the body of Christ, especially those who were not prominent because of their non-prominent speaking gifts. And so he starts off in verse 20 by stating the same thing that he has stated throughout this chapter, that the thought being that the body is one, yet it has many members. This isn't new, but Paul repeats it again. 
But now, he says in verse 20, there are many members but one body. He has said that before. He now says it again. This has been, and he says it again because this has been the foundational truth that Paul has built his argument on. And now he is going to give not only a lesson in human anatomy, but really a lesson in the anatomy of the local church and how it functions just like a human body. Using the language of a human body, Paul gives us several truths about just how much, how desperate we are in the sense that we need one another in the body of Christ. He begins by giving us the first truth. And this is a truth that is a broad general principle. He tells us each part of the human body needs one another. Verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, as I said, in this verse, Paul is giving the very broad general principle that those who think they are important in the church because of their prominent spiritual gift, they need those in the church who they think are less important because they're less prominent spiritual gift. And he does this, notice, by personifying, as if it's a person who, that can speak. He per- personifies the eye, an eye in the human body, who looks down upon a hand so that it tells the hand, I have no need of you. And he personifies a head saying the same thing to the feet. I have no need of you. You see, this is the arrogance that he's addressing. I have no need of you. I'm better than you. I don't need you. I have everything I need in my spiritual gift. Now, the eye and the head represent, as I said, those those in the Corinthian church who had this sinful attitude of arrogance and superiority because of the prominence of their speaking gifts so that they didn't think they needed those who they considered to be beneath them because they were less gifted. And that's represented by the hand and the feet. And though the Corinthian church is no longer with us, this very snooty attitude remains in some because there are many Christians who do look down upon less gifted people in the church, people who consider themselves more important to the functioning of the church than others who are more in just the background of the church. Not only is this a wicked attitude of sinful pride and arrogance, but those who have this attitude are absolutely wrong. They're just wrong because regardless of what they think, they are completely dependent on those in the body of Christ who they consider to be less gifted than they are. Listen to these words by one Bible teacher. I'm quoting this to you because I felt that this man, who I really don't know, he's just one of many commentaries I have, I felt like that he captures exactly the thought that Paul is making here as he points out the sheer fallacy of those in the church who don't think they need others. Here's what this man writes. He said, there's a tendency for those who are much more gifted than others to presume that they can dispense with the the less talented. This is a fallacy, for if the eye looks at an object and desires to obtain it, being unable to do so, it must depend on the hand to come to its aid. Again, if the head desires to move to another location, it's totally dependent on the feet to accomplish this operation. So every member is necessary, and we must learn to value others, especially those who are much less important in our eyes. I think that he just nails it. You, you can't have, you can't have an, an eye looking at something and getting it. An eye doesn't move without other parts of the body. The head can't go anywhere without the feet. That's the point that Paul 
is making. And so having stated now the broad general principle that every member in the body and in the church, every member is important, and that those in positions of prominence in the church need those who are not as prominent as they are, as Paul continues, he gets very specific. He's given the broad principle. Now he gets very specific about this. And he gives us a second truth about how we in the church need one another. And that truth being those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are absolutely indispensable. Notice verse 22. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And Paul says, contrary to what those in the church who think of themselves as being vital and indispensable to the functioning of the church, it's the people that they look down on as less gifted than them that are actually the ones who are vital and indispensable. And the way Paul puts this is that he said, the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Again, using the analogy of a human body, the apostle says that it's those parts of the body that we might consider to be less important because nobody pays much attention to those parts. He says they're actually very important to the point of even being necessary for survival. Now, the apostle does not name any specific body parts. He doesn't tell us what he has in mind. But it doesn't take much imagination to figure out what he's talking about. Because there are certain organs in your body that are absolutely vital to the point that you just couldn't function. In fact, you couldn't live without them. And these organs are those that are hidden from sight so that no one really pays much attention to them under ordinary conditions, but you couldn't, as I said, you couldn't live without them. I'm talking about organs like your brain, your heart, your lungs. Lose any of those and you just die. That's reality. However, there are other parts of the body, parts that people look at, parts that people tend to pay a lot of attention to because they're considered to be important and vital, but they're actually, when one thinks about it, they're not that vital because you could actually lose any of these parts and still live without them. So I'm talking about such parts as an eye, an ear, a hand, a leg, a foot. It certainly wouldn't be pleasant to lose any of these, but you could lose any one of these parts of your body and yet still live. Now it may very well be that Paul speaks of these hidden but indispensable Organs. Notice he calls them weaker. It may be he calls them that because they're inside of us. And therefore inside of us, they are protected by the rest of the, the body. However, though there is a sense in which they are weaker because they need protecting, nonetheless they are vital to us and we need them to just continue living. You can't live without them. Now folks, we don't want to miss the point that Paul is making to the Corinthians, and therefore by application, the point he's making to us and every local church. This is not intended to be just an anatomy lesson. Paul is not a a science biology teacher. He's an apostle. And as an apostle, he's addressing an issue in the Corinthian church and something that is an issue in all churches, and it's this. There are people in the church who are essentially hidden because they do what we would call behind-the-scenes types of ministry, and very seldom do they get noticed, but they're vital to the ministry of the church. In fact, the church couldn't exist without them because they, in reality, are the real strength 
of the church. So I'm talking about those who are prayer warriors, who faithfully pray for the church, those who clean the building, those who keep up the grounds and the the landscaping so that it's presentable and not a poor testimony to others, those who put up chairs so that we can sit down and listen to the teaching, those who set up and take down tables in Sunday school classes, those who make sure the air conditioner is on so that we can sit comfortably in the church, those who do these kinds of things are the people that church has to have to continue as a church. Listen, without these people, really, there'd be no church, no matter how gifted a speaker the pastor might be. Charles Spurgeon was considered the greatest preacher of his day, being known as the prince of preachers. He preached in London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and thousands upon thousands came to hear Spurgeon every Sunday. However, what many people don't realize is that much of the power behind Spurgeon's preaching had to do with the 70 people who met each Sunday in the basement of the Metropolitan Tabernacle during the service. Why did they meet? They spent that whole time praying for Spurgeon as he preached. Folks, these were the hidden but necessary members of the body of believers at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. We remember Spurgeon today. I don't know anybody who knows the names of those 70 people who met for prayer. Without them, Spurgeon doesn't have that kind of a ministry. So having made it very clear that those in the church who seem to be weaker are actually indispensable, Paul now moves on to give a third truth about how much we in the body of Christ need one another. And this third truth is this. Those parts of the body that are naturally less honorable, we bestow upon them more honor. Let me say this again. Those parts of the body that are naturally less honorable, we bestow on them more honor. Verse 23. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. So having already spoken about those parts of the body that appear to be weaker, Paul now addresses those parts of the body that we consider to be less honorable than other parts of the body. So what are these less honorable parts of the body that the Apostle Paul has in mind? Well, the key word that Paul uses that helps us understand what he's referring to, notice, is the word bestow, as in we bestow more abundant honor. You see, this particular Greek word that's translated bestow means to place around or to clothe. In other words, the apostle is referring to those parts of the body that we put clothing on. Commenting on this, John MacArthur writes this. He writes, less honorable probably refers to the parts of our body that are not particularly attractive. It seems best to see this as referring to the torso in general the part on which we hang clothes. It might include flabby thighs or a paunch. We spend more time and money clothing those parts of our body than the ones that are more presentable, such as the face and hands. And by doing this, we bestow on them more abundant honor. Expressing the very same thought, Bible teacher Simon Kiesmacher wrote this. He said, we clothe the less honorable parts of the human body more carefully than the nobler parts. 
Fashionable shoes hide unsightly feet. Shoulder pads add stature to a sagging physique, and an unattractive dress or an elegant suit gives charm to an extended figure. Now, summing up what Paul is saying is something I've heard my wife Michelle say many times, clothes are our friends. That's what she said. And she's right. They are our friends because they help us to look better by bestowing abundant honor on the unattractive parts of our body. But notice that's not all Paul said in verse 23. Notice the second part of this verse where he states, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Now the apostle has already mentioned parts of the body that he said are less honorable because they aren't particularly attractive. But here he refers to something else, our less presentable members. So what parts of our body are our less presentable members? Well, once again, what helps us to understand what Paul is actually teaching, what the apostle has in mind, is the particular Greek word that he uses. You see, the word that is translated presentable or or as in less presentable members, is a Greek word that means unpresentable and indecent. In other words, Paul is referring to our private parts, those parts of us that we cover up for the sake of modesty and decency. Though we live in a very decadent society where many individuals think nothing of flaunting and exposing those parts of the body that should be covered, nonetheless, God says that there are members of our body that should be covered and treated with modesty. And if they're not, it's shameful, it's indecent, it's wrong. And so what Paul is saying is that because there are certain parts of our body that should never be seen in public, we go to great lengths to treat them with modesty so that we pay more attention to them, how? By covering them up. However, that's not the case with other parts of our body that we have no need to pay much attention to by covering them up due to modesty. And that's exactly what Paul goes on to say in verse 24. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Paul states that the presentable members of our body, those parts, we don't need to to make sure they're covered. We don't need any special attention given to them. They don't need special treatment by being covered. In other words, we don't need to cover our face because the various parts of our face, like our eyes, our ears, nose, mouth, they have a natural built-in quality of attractiveness. And why is this the case? It's this way, Paul says, because that's the way that God has designed the body. He says, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. In other words, certain parts of our bodies, we have to honor just by covering them. And certain parts of our bodies, we don't need to honor because they possess a certain beauty that in and of itself is attractive. And this is the way that God has composed our bodies. This is how God has designed them. And why did God design our bodies this way? Well, Paul tells us why in the next verse, verse 25. So that, here he's connecting it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Paul says that God 
has sovereignly designed our bodies so that there would be no division in them, meaning that no member, no part of the body would be neglected. Not one part. Each part works in harmony for the good of the whole body. This has to be the case. Otherwise, there would be division and factions, and obviously that's not how our bodies work. They couldn't possibly work that way. God has put our bodies together so that there are no conflicts of interest. Each part has equal concern for the other parts because they all work for the common good of the body. And the proof of this, of what Paul writes about, is what he follows up this statement by saying in verse 26, and if one member, meaning one member of the body suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. What Paul writes here is something that is obvious to all of us. If one part of our body is injured or diseased, then all the parts of our body suffer. If one part of our body is honored, then the rest of our body is honored. As for instance, in the example of one person I read who spoke of soaking one's feet in cold water after a long walk, he said, which brings delight to the entire body. We all get that. Now listen closely, as I told you earlier, Paul isn't giving a science talk here. He's not giving an anatomy lesson here for the sake of an anatomy lesson. He's simply illustrating that God has designed both the human body and the church, the body of Christ, to function the same way. The apostle's point being that no member in the body of Christ is more important than any other member, regardless of how high profile their spiritual gift or gifts might be. Just as we take care of the various parts of our body, so we are to take care of all, without exception, all the members of the church. No one should ever be neglected. No one should ever be overlooked in the church. Those who have more hidden behind the scenes types of gifts should be treated the same way with care, love, respect, and concern as those with more high profile types of gifts. I close with these very meaningful words from again Simon Kiesmacher who commenting on verse 26, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Simon Kiesmacher wrote this. He said, this is one of the most beautiful texts in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. It describes the effect genuine care can have on the members in the Christian church. When love prevails, we see the church as a living physical body. A stubbed toe impairs one's ability to walk and thus affects the entire body. Filling one's stomach with delicious food satisfies all the parts of the body, but the pain of a stomach ulcer has an opposite effect. Similarly, when a member in the congregation mourns the death of a loved one, the entire congregation grieves with the mourner. When one member receives recognition for either an accomplishment or an anniversary, the rest of the members surround the recipient with joyful adulation. The Christian community mourns with those who hurt and rejoices with those who celebrate. Let's make sure we apply these truths to our lives, and it begins by applying it to our thinking. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this magnificent passage of Scripture, the depth, the common sense, the apostolic authority with which Paul wrote. Lord, this affects us. May Lakeside be a church that honors all of its members, all of its people, 
showing no favorites, never having an attitude of superiority. And Lord, we pray for those who feel like they're useless, that they're not that important. May they correct that thinking because they're wrong. And may these truths impact them to the point where they think biblically. So Lord, we pray that you'll help us to give honor to every member in this church as you would see fit. And may every, every member of this church, Lord, use their gifts to serve one another for your glory and for the edification of the body of believers. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.